0: Okay, um, so I will be reading Hebrews um, chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. So I'll give you a bit of time to find that. Give me a bit of time to put my glasses on. Okay, so please join me. Read on as I read on. Therefore... Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he shape and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline; God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This is God's word.
1: Thank you, Susie. Give us a moment just to get into position here. Hello, everybody. Ah here we are Deb. Yes. Gate crashing. Gate crashing night church.
2: No, I've got a few buddies though. I saw that Judy's here yeah. and yeah. Linda. And hello to anyone else with grey hair. Yeah. We're all buddies. Yeah, we're all we buddies are all buddies. We are all buddies. We're not really gate crashing. No, we belong we're not here.
1: We just throughout the after day, Deb welcomed me to her services, and then I welcomed her to my services, and then we're like, <gasps> Who's going we to say for us night here? church? We're like, we'll just gate, and they gave us we're, microphones. Yes, <laughs> that's their own fault, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So. um... Deb and I, obviously, the two women's ministers on staff here at St. Matt's, and I think I've said said throughout the day, I don't think people realize how closely together we work. No. We Mm. work closely behind the scenes, but we also really get on and we love working together, Mm. but people don't often see us together. So this is super exciting Mm. to be sharing the platform tonight. Lovely to be here. So in prepping for um, tonight, we have hung out quite a bit, you know, had double-vaxxed COVID picnics and they were super fun, heaps of them Mm. legal above board. And um, just been discussing what we're going to talk about and heaps of other things. And in our chats, a bit similar to how Night Church started tonight, you told me about an email that you've been sending out during COVID. Um, but more specifically, your question is
2: what I'm interested in. So, so this week I asked people what was a good habit? That you want to continue. So I was very interested to see that that's the question that you were answering tonight because I thought to, we really need to prepare for coming out of lockdown. Lockdown sort of happened like that and we weren't prepared. Let's prepare for coming out. So what are the good things? So you already had that question at the beginning. What's a good thing that you'd like to continue?
1: Every time, every time you ask that today, I go like, oh. I'm actually quite... By lockdown coming to an end, because there's a lot of bad things I want to stop doing. <laughs> but there was a good thing that I did, which is um, for years now, I've been saying to anyone that would listen, I want to, I want to swim in the ocean. I want to do that manly to Shelley swim. And it's because on staff here at St. Matt's, quite a lot of people come into the office in the morning, and um, not Deb not Deb, but quite a lot of the other staff members come into the office in the morning and say, oh, how beautiful was the swim this morning? Oh, it was like, the water was so lovely. And you know, in my head, I'm going, oh, I'm so jealous. I so want to do that. And I just want to start the day like that. I think it sounds wonderful, but I've got a little problem and that's I can't swim. I can't actually swim at all. <laughs> so during lockdown, my sister sent me the, this number of a swimming coach. And she said, well, put your money where your mouth is. Do it now. Now's the time to get into the swimming lessons and get that skill set up. So I did. I booked myself swimming lessons. Went down to Queenscliff pool at 6.30 in the mornings in the middle of winter. And I'll never forget the first morning, this lovely Dutch woman, the swimming coach, said to me, "Okay, hop in. And I literally looked at her and thought, you hop in. I don't want to hop in. That looks freezing cold. And it was freezing cold. But I can swim now. So she's taught me... Good stroke and breathing, and I'm now an ocean swimmer. And two weeks ago, I did my first Manny to Shelly and back swim. And that's what I'm going to keep up. I'm going to keep, keep up swimming? ocean swimming.
2: And you're going to be one of the people that come in and yeah, say. Yeah, and annoy you. Well, I won't be annoyed, but I won't be doing it either. <laughs> 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 I won't be doing that. I'm not one of those team people. But what I will be doing is leaving you now, asking God to bless you, fill you with His Spirit, and bring a wonderful word of encouragement tonight, church.
1: Thank you, Deb. And we'll be seeing Deb a little bit later. But as I kick off, I was reflecting on New Year's Eve, just this past New Year's Eve, the last one we had. And it's actually caught on camera where I said what my two New Year's resolutions were. And the first one was, by the end of 2021, I want to be doing the Manly to surely swim at least twice a week. So I feel like I can say nailed it for the first time in my life. I've actually nailed the New Year's resolution early. And the second one was, for every fiction book I read, I want to read a Christian book, and that was actually the one that filled me with a little bit more dread because I read a lot, I read a lot of fiction, but then a wonderful thing happened strange thing happened as lockdown hit every time I picked up a fiction book, it didn't make sense to me. it was like it just couldn't grab me. It was like the storylines weren't for now, if you know what I mean it It felt like it was. Everything's written for pre-COVID times. I couldn't relate to anything. I was like, ugh, it feels a bit meh every time I pick up a fiction book. And then I thought, oh, well, well, let me switch my fiction reading time to Bible reading time. And um, maybe this is not news to you, but the Bible is relevant whenever. Everything in there is relevant for whenever, especially now. And so I really got stuck into reading my Bible. But then my next thought was, well, it's time to get working on my second year's resolution, which is read that Christian book and um, I was sharing this with my growth group and one of the girls in my growth group you know I was sharing with them that I find it incredibly difficult to read Christian books I I feel like I just cannot get into it and she said this genius thing she said well it's because you don't read a Christian book like you read uh, fiction books is on obviously fiction you can kind of skim read kind of get the gist of it next page with Christian books you've really got to go slow line by line referenced against your bible you know it's a lot more work that's what I did picked up the first book that was on the pile that I wanted to get through next to my bed. and was actually gifted to me by Kath Clark. So thanks, Kathy. And it was a book called Enjoying God by Tim Chester. And with this book in hand and the Bible in the other hand, I just had the most phenomenal experience. It's like the scripture just opened up to me. So first of all, I finished the book, which is like a real triumph for me. And this passage that I'm going to be speaking on today that really encouraged me right throughout um, the lockdown period is a, a, a passage that is referenced over and over in this book. But more importantly, it's a passage that I would never have chosen to, spoken on, to, to speak on, never, ever. But now I just love it. I can't get enough of it, and it's really excited me. So it is from Hebrews 12, as Susie read to us, and I'm not going to reread it all, but I'm just going to highlight a few verses before I kick off. So in verse 1 it says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jumping to verse 4, In your struggle against sin, your struggle against sin, so it's a struggle, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son, it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. I've always looked at that passage, maybe all the same, and it just shut down because the topic of discipline for me is a really uncomfortable one I once heard someone say in a talk that discipline is just not something you ever see tattooed on someone. It's just not an edgy or cool word, the word discipline. But now that I've really got stuck into this passage and God has revealed so much to me in there, I I feel like I could get that tattoo, to be honest with you. Maybe you'll feel like that at the end as well. These words from verse five, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? Is what spun it all around for me. Because it's encouraging. It's supposed to be encouraging, and before I just couldn't see how, but now seeing hardship as God's discipline changes everything. What I really need to point out at this stage is that discipline is not punishment. That is where I always sort of tripped up and shut down. Discipline is not punishment. Punishment happened on the cross. Back to the scripture, verse 6. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone except as son. So hardship and discipline doesn't mean that God dislikes us or is punishing us. No, it means he accepts us as his children. It's such a tough thing to discipline. Oh, you, will not do, you will not discipline or take the time and care to discipline someone you do not care for. As a mom, I discipline my kids, right? because I want them to learn, I want them to change, I want them to grow. I've got this tiny little window of opportunity, this tiny window where I can prep them for the world they're heading into. It's hard work. It is tough to discipline. It is an act of love. So if love leads to discipline, this is my line of thinking, then discipline can be a sign of love, of course. However, I think where I've gone wrong right up into this point and where I've misunderstood God's discipline, as in this passage, Is because I have always compared it to my own earthly parent discipline. Now sure, sometimes, like I discipline from a place of complete calm and it's calculated and I've worked it out and I've had this holistic approach together with my husband Michael and we know what our end goal is and we put this discipline in place. Yeah, sometimes. I think 80% of the time it's the other way. It comes from a place of rage, I'm angry, Um, maybe they've done something to embarrass me in public and I just lash out. So I do it almost because someone's, you know, um, compromised my pride. same with when I think back to, and that is where the verse has always hit me, where it says we've all had our own earthly father and, have, and they disciplined us and haven't we respected them for that. When I've thought back to being a child and the ways I have been disciplined, not all the time, but sometimes, I have thought, no, actually I haven't respected them for it. So thank the Lord he gave me my own children, that I could walk a mile in my parents' shoes and actually realize that I can let go of those grudges, that I can let go of everything that I've held against my own earthly father. This is really why this passage has never really impacted me in the way it has now. Because the penny has dropped for me that I am being disciplined by a perfect father. A father that knows the plans he has for me. He's always disciplining me from a place where, and I'm going to quote directly from this book, Enjoying God, where he sees not just my actions, but my heart. A father with infinite patience, who measures his discipline with Perfect wisdom. Isn't that wow? So, verse 10 says, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. I just think at this point I need to say, bad things are not good. Evil is evil, and injustice is not from God. Illness and sickness are a mark of the broken world we live in. Painful experiences are painful. I just need to acknowledge this at no point am I pretending to know exactly what you're going through or what your pain, or your hurt, or your experience is today. But what I do know is that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. God can turn even evil intent around for his good. Now this good might not be obvious here on earth, and as God is working in us, it might feel like painful punishment sometimes, Because this is not home, is it? We're not at the end. We have not reached our destination and what we're being trained for yet. Paul Tripp says it so beautifully. He says, today, remember that this moment isn't intended to be a destination, but it is what God's using to prepare you for your final destination. Isn't that well said? This moment isn't intended to be the destination. Now sometimes, not always, but sometimes God's discipline might mean that we need to change where we are headed or there's some unrepentant sin involved. To illustrate my point, and some of you might be able to relate to this, my husband Michael and I, we don't fight a lot, but we have the same fights about the same things over and over again. And it's almost just when the fight happens that you realize, oh, it's this fight again. The other day after such a fight, I went to Coles to go, not browse the aisles, and um, I was driving in the car, and I said "I'd loud to God, I said, God, I'm so tired of this fight. I can't do this fight anymore. Please, can you just show me the lesson? Can you just teach me what I need to learn from this? So we can just get over this fight. This fight is boring me. And so sometimes God's discipline is trying to point us to a sin that needs repented. And if there's a specific sin, if there's a specific theme, it will come up again and again. And if you ask God to reveal to you what it is, he will show you what it is that you need to repent of. And I can tell you that I did say that, and God did show me where my attitude needed to change, where I needed to repent of sin. So I can very gladly report that we are having one less fight in our house these days. We need to believe, we need to believe with our whole hearts that God's discipline is an act of love. We need to grasp this fully. We need to see that it is constant, constant, constantly growing and stretching us, not just in the big things, but also the tiny day-to-day frustrations and hurdles. So I've got a little challenge for you, and I've been doing this during lockdown. What if, this week, if normally you would have been irritated by something, normally something would have tripped you up or made you angry, what if you could say out loud to God, thank you, God, for this traffic jam, for this spilt coffee on my beautiful white linen shirt, for this incredibly difficult work situation. Thank you, God, for this. What would you want me to learn from this? Is this an opportunity to pray about it? This is not an easy habit to get into, I can tell you that. But as you practice it, it gets easier and easier. So why don't you, every time this week something difficult happens, something challenging happens, say out loud to God, thank you, God. What would you like me to learn from this? Because there is just constant opportunities to see God's hand in things and also grow. It's not just the big things. So as we learn to grow and change and become more like Jesus, in the little things, we can look at Romans 8.29 that says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Oh my goodness! I love this language that we are Jesus' brothers and sisters. I don't know why, but I find it so powerful. A few weeks ago, in life church at 5 p.m., I mentioned how hard hitting it was for me when I realised Jesus, when the disciples asked him how to pray, when he started with "Our Father," that he could have said "My Father," of course, but he didn't. He definitely didn't. He said "Our Father," meaning whoever was there with him. It was. Jesus' father, and it was the disciples' father, and it's my father, and it's your father. My perfect father. It is our father, standing with open arms, ready to just hug us close. When we draw close to him, he will come near to us. His discipline is an act of love, so that we can be set free from our misdirected desires, our earthly idols, our complete control freakiness, our pride and become who he has made us to be. Now verse 10 again, verse 10 to 11. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Peace, that word. For me, the ultimate, how lovely to think we are being transformed to be beings who feel at peace. So in the end, so transformed by God's loving discipline and grace, we should be literally spilling over, gagging to share this great news of what it means to be in this transforming relationship with our great God, not just with words, but also with our lives. My prayer is that we will all embrace this heavenly discipline that we might all get the tattoo. Run to finish this race with joy and steadfastness. And one day, I cannot wait till we see each other in heaven and we can lock eyes and we can say, man, this was so worth it. That was so worth it. Now As Deb comes up, will you pray with me to our beautiful Father? Let's pray. Our loving, perfect Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for adopting us into your family God, we know an adopted child is handpicked. Thank you for handpicking us. God, will you transform us day by day to become who you have made us to be, to become more like Jesus? God, use Deb now to speak truthfully and powerfully as she points us to you. Amen.
2: Well, do you think you'll be getting a tattoo? discipline i won't be swimming in the harbor or getting a tattoo that says discipline but i am encouraged are you encouraged i'm encouraged to be reminded that when we're disciplined it's not about punishment and that's particularly encouraging if your experience of of your own parental experience has been that it was about punishment and some of you aren't so far away from still being disciplined by your parents But besides past experience, which can mean that we aren't encouraged when we hear that discipline is part of what God has for us, there are other things that can stop us from receiving a word of encouragement. The first one is denying our situations qualify as hardship. This is where you might say, oh look, my life's not that hard. I just have to get on with it. In my earlier years as a Christian, I thought that any hardship I had did not really compare at all with the hardship of those in the persecuted church. That's what I was told. So I used to think that I had to stop whinging, pull my bootstraps up and get on with it because my life was really a breeze. But the thing was, my life did not feel like a breeze. There were parts of my life that were absolutely awful and some of it was really hard. And denying that or acting like it didn't exist, that they weren't really hardships because they weren't directly related to standing up for Jesus, didn't make them go away. Neither did comparing myself with other people and thinking to myself, well, they're so much worse off than us. I have to stop complaining. That person's life's terrible. I need to get on with it. It was like I thought God had a sort of a limited supply of assistance or help or that he was actually a bit irritated with me because I really wasn't coping or that there were other way more deserving people and that he was quite busy with them and would I just get on with it. And I've heard a lot of similar commentary during lockdown. There are people who are way worse off than we are. We are so lucky here on the northern beaches. We just need to turn around and be grateful. Everything here is so good. And I agree that we need to be grateful. We need to thank God and be grateful for the things that are good. Even secular psychology tells us that an attitude of gratitude actually helps our mental health. But thanking God in all circumstances doesn't mean we need to deny that things are hard and just deal with it ourselves. If we deny that things are hard, if we thank God in everything and never acknowledge that things are, are difficult, it's too easy for us to become people who rely on ourselves, on what we can do and do everything in our own strength. Here's what I came to see back then. We're engaged in a spiritual battle, and we have spiritual enemies. Besides our own internal tendency to sin, and we'll always have that, we have an external enemy, and he's there to kill and destroy. He will try anything to thwart God's purposes. That is his main aim, thwart God's purposes. And if he can do it through direct persecution, he'll do it. And so the persecuted church, where you will be persecuted and put in prison and all sorts of other things happen to you if you stand up for Jesus. But do you think that because we live in a country where we're not directly persecuted for our faith, that he gives up and he just says, oh bummer, we can't do anything in Australia because they won't put people in prison for their faith. No, no, he does not give up. If direct persecution is not an option, he'll use whatever he can do to try and make us turn our back on God. And if he can't do that, he'll try and make us as ineffective as he possibly can. So, what could the enemy use on the northern beaches to make us ineffective if he can't use direct persecution? Anything, good things. God will use good things to get, uh, the enemy will use good things to get between us and our relationship with God. Sickness, financial stress, academic failure, job loss, relationship breakdown, or maybe a lockdown that cuts us off from others, removes all our support systems, gives us a great sense of loss, and causes a whole lot of other domino things to occur in our lives. Now, please don't think, don't hear me say, don't think that I'm minimising the suffering of the persecuted church, because I'm not. What I am saying is that the same enemy that's behind the persecution of the church there doesn't give up killing and destroying if he can here. He'll use whatever method he can to persecute us, our relationship with God. And our, and our relationships with each other, and denying things are hard, and becoming self-reliant, and managing our difficulties difficulties in our own strength can be used by the enemy to keep our eyes off Jesus. What we need to do is to name our hardships and troubles as hardships and troubles. Then. As Hebrews says, In the midst of those things which are hardships and troubles for us, we can fix our eyes on Jesus so that we don't lose heart. And we can see them as opportunities for God to grow and shape us, to discipline us. When God is using our circumstances for his glory, the enemy can't because where the light is, the darkness has to flee. And I know that many of you have been doing that. I've been in contact with you and I hear that you're faithfully keeping your eyes on Jesus and you're letting him discipline and shape you. Keep doing that. Nothing is too small or unimportant for God. Nothing is too small for him to use in your life. And as Suzanne said, sometimes there is sin to be dealt with. Sometimes our hardships and our difficulties, when we bring them to him and allow him to discipline, he pins points something in our life. And he said, "That, see that? And sometimes there are things that we have to remove from our lives, things that have got between us and God, things that Jesus needs to clean up in our lives. And sometimes... He just wants to comfort us in our hardships and in our difficulties. It's all part of being lovingly disciplined. And even though it can be painful, as the reading says, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. But I also know that some of you are struggling that there are hardships, that you can't do it alone and that you are willing to allow God to draw alongside you as the God of all comfort, to fix your eyes on Jesus. And the way forward is to acknowledge the struggles, to acknowledge the hardships and to acknowledge the difficulties and to stop thinking that you have to be someone that does it in your own strength, that you have to just stop whinging and get on with it. So I encourage you to pause If you are struggling, name your troubles. Fix your eyes on Jesus. When we see every circumstance as an opportunity to be disciplined by him and for him, then we're positioned to hear and respond to Jesus who said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Because if you don't do this, you will lose heart. You will become weary, as the passage says. And that leads me to the second response that can prevent us from being encouraged. If the first is just, I have to stop whinging, I have to get on with it, my life is not that bad. The second is, I am already worn out. I am already over it. I am so past being encouraged. Someone told me this week that their experience over the last couple of months has been like being a hamster in a wheel, going round and round and round. I thought of that image just running round and round and round and round and round. How exhausting. How wearying. Some of you are putting on a brave and thankful face, but inwardly you're heavy, weary, heavy laden and over it. And at times you feel like you're a hamster and i know that many of you could recite matthew 11:28 come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest and that's where we're going to land but before we land there let's look at the sentences that jesus says just before he says those verses he said i praise you father lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned And reveal them to little children. What is he actually saying here? That only five year olds get it? That only five year olds will ever understand what it is that God's doing? No, not at all. He's saying that we have to come to him as if we are children, dependent children. No matter how old we are, what our gender is, what our experiences are, we are his children, not childish but his children nonetheless. Cezanne reminded us that it says when he disciplines us, God is treating us like his children. And from Romans, she quoted that Jesus is the firstborn and we are his brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus. So then if we go back to the exhortation in Matthew, if we go back to the exhortation that Jesus gives us to come to him, We hear him talking to his worn-out brothers and sisters, trying so hard to do things on their own and in their own strength. And he's saying, brothers and sisters, children of my Father, you have a loving Heavenly Father. He's my Father too. I know what it's like. I can give you the rest that you need. I'm gentle. I'm lowly of heart. I can help you with the load. What our Father will ask of you is easy and light. When you do it with me. When our hardship and the hardship of people around us gets us down, when we're weary and burdened, Jesus beckons us to come. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he meets us. It was the Holy Spirit who ministered to Jesus in the desert. It was the Holy Spirit who gave gave Jesus the strength and perseverance to endure the cross. And it's the same Holy Spirit. It's he who lives in us and ministers to us that will bring about the transformation that gives us joy and the same ability that Jesus had to persevere. So I encourage you, worn out, brothers and sisters, to come to Jesus. And there's another encouragement. Coming to Jesus is the way that people are drawn to Jesus. We name our sins and we name our troubles. We fix our eyes on him. He's the author and perfecter of our faith on the cross. And we don't lose heart when we're looking at him. And when we do lose heart, we look back at him. Jesus teaches us. The Father disciplines us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives are absolutely transformed. And other people want to be part of that. Other people see the transformation and they want to know who that Jesus is. Our hardships become less and less about our personal happiness and more and more about him and making him known among the nations. And as Hebrews says, and we say it again, it produces a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of peace, not just for us, but in the lives of others. So are you encouraged? Will you allow yourself to be encouraged? The next verse in Hebrews, after the reading we had, says, Therefore, because the outcome is so positive, when we let God discipline us, Therefore, we are to strengthen our feeble arms and weak knees. And this phrase actually comes from Isaiah 35 where it says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. And I'd add to that, take heart and be encouraged.